Okay, good morning. Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Emuna. I want to thank our series sponsor, as always, our dear friends Avi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbin, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer. We're very grateful for their generosity. This morning's year is also sponsored by Rabbi George and Lisa Lintz, in memory of her beloved father, Moshe Dov Ben Yerucham Fischel, Dr. Morris Lofman, and by Debbie Gorlin, as a schoolschlem of Hannah Ben Bas Esther Malka. And Devorah Barindal Bas Nechama by Meir and Jeffrey Golgreb in memory of Meira's mother, whose fifteenth year at site, Leah Bas Nasan Neshama Shenav and Aliyah, and how proud she is of you and your family. By Debbie Roslimsky to commemorate her father Natan Ben Baruch's first year at site today, his Neshama Shenav and Aliyah as well. So thank you to all of our very very generous sponsors. Okay, we have a lot of learning to do and a lot of uh, emails and letters to catch up on as always, which is I know the real reason that you come here. So just to share a couple with you quickly. Dear Rabbi Goldberg, for quite some time I've had to deal with a toxic relationship with a certain family member. Over the past few days, things escalated considerably, leading them to lashing out with an extremely angry and hurtful WhatsApp message that I am still struggling to process. This morning I thought to myself, perhaps one of you living with a Munashira might give me the boost I needed. I scrolled down and opened a random shear. It's my favorite words, random. A random shear. It happened to be the one we gave before Pesach, in which you spoke about anger and redemption. As I listened, I was astounded. It was as if you were speaking directly to me in my situation. You spoke of how someone lashes out at you in anger that is reflecting of their lack of amuna, that you should not respond to the text, and that while it's necessary to deal with the relationship, ultimately, we should attempt to do so from a place of pity for the other person rather than get caught up in their failings. You suggested to daven for them rather than react to them. Those words are exactly what I needed to hear. Of course, there are no quick fixes. It's an ongoing painful issue. Reframing the issue from the perspective of amuna gave me a huge amount of of chizuk. So uh, I share that for two reasons. Number one, because it really re reiterates the strategy that we shared then, previously, and reiterate now, that strategy of um, when somebody mistreats us or lashes out at us or acts inappropriately with us to not absorb their negativity. You know, if we get caught up as if we eliminate or erase Hashem from the equation, there is no God, there is no Hashem, it's just about us and that other person, then we start to doubt ourselves, then we start to want to lash out or get even or revenge at them. But the moment that we can have a context and a perspective and we can realize there's a bigger story here, and the way they're behaving is saying much more about them than it is about us. And of course, we have to constantly take stock of who we are and how we behave, of our midos, and can we with pride look in the mirror with how we interacted with that person. But if the answer is yes, we believe we did what was appropriate and right, that we haven't done anything wrong. And the fact that they are lashing out nonetheless says so much more about them than it does us. And the amuna, the leaning into the amuna, the leaning in to realizing that there's Hashem. And there's a reason that we were meant to experience this. That WhatsApp message, that email, the way that person spoke to us in public or private, we were meant to hear. There's something for us to learn. There's a way we're meant to grow from it. Then we won't feel a need for revenge or to match or to elevate or escalate they're lashing out because we could see it in that, in that context. So I share it because it's a good opportunity to review that lesson, and mostly I'm reviewing it for myself, that when someone sends or speaks to you in that harsh way, to pause, to take that deep breath, and to say, is there virtue or merit to the message, even if I don't like the messaging, and even if I don't like the messenger? I don't like the messenger, and I don't like the messaging of the way they communicate it, but maybe the message, there's something I need to hear. Maybe there's something I need to take away. Maybe there's a way I need to grow from it. And even if we conclude, no, I reject the message, the messaging, and the messenger, 
But you know what? I'm not going to have the rest of my day ruined or spoiled. That person's not going to have real estate in my head. I'm going to lean into Amuna that there's a reason I need to hear that. How can I grow or improve or change from it? But what I loved about this email is, and now we've received several like it, which has nothing to do with me or us. It's everything to do with him. Of people who said, you know, I was feeling or experiencing this and I put on a random sheer. Mine or someone else. YouTube or the algorithm of the podcast player. Last week I got a voice note from somebody. I was going through something and I never heard of you, but on Spotify, I happened to stumble across your living with Amun Ashir and now I've listened to several in a row. Again, because the emails that we're reading and the Torah that we're simply transmitting from others. But nobody happens to hear something on Spotify. No playlist or algorithm randomly suggests something for someone. If we're if we know what is above us, if we know that there is a choreographer, a curator above us, if we know that he's carefully determining and picking the exact perfect playlist for us, the playlist that we need to hear, then we were meant to hear, we were meant to overhear, we were meant to see, we were meant to listen. I'm not suggesting that you should, you know, every day open a podcast player and try to randomly pick something. I think that we can still, with a certain level of intention and intentionality, make our own playlist in life, literally and figuratively. We can still take responsibility and personal responsibility to curate our own playlist of what will inspire and be mechazek us. But know that when we don't, or we rely on what someone else does, that that too is from, that that too is from Hashem. So that is one email. I printed a few others, and they're sitting in the printer in my office right now because I forgot to bring them. But Baruch Hashem, I have the laptop in front of me so I could read them to you from here. So here is another one. Dear Rabbi Goldberg, I wrote you a couple months ago about my anger towards God for creating a very frustrating and seemingly unfair Parnassah experience for me. I felt validated I was allowed to tell God I was angry at Him. After my anger and confusion subsided, I noticed that something interesting happened. Now, wh- why is this person saying that I felt validated? Because again, we've discussed previously, none of these ideas are my own. We have much precedent for it. But the idea that not only is being frustrated or ki'ilu, angry at Hashem, not a breakdown or failure in emuna, in some ways it is a very high and lofty expression and manifestation of emuna, because you're not disappointed or frustrated or angry in people or things you don't believe in. You don't get angry at a figment of your imagination. You don't get angry at your make-believe, made-up friend. You don't get angry at the doll sitting in the corner of the room. You don't get angry, you do when you stub your toe on it in the middle of the night, but you're more angry at whoever left it there than at the doll itself. But you don't get angry at when you're disappointed or frustrated, why? Because you say, you're my tata and himmel, you're my father. A father doesn't sit by and let somebody get hurt. A father doesn't passively be a spectator to the pain of a child when they could intervene and intercede. So where are you? And why are you letting this happen? And why are you allowing me to go through this pain? Where are you? I'm frustrated, I'm upset, I'm disappointed, I'm hurt. Where are you? Now that where are you and those feelings are not in fact, as I said, a breakdown of emuna. They are in many ways an incredible, sophisticated, profound expression of that emuna. And if you'll say, Goldberg, where are you getting such kfira ideas from? Where are you, where are you spewing such heresy? Did Avram Avinu, when he heard, when Hashem says, can I keep from Avram what I'm about to do to Stom? I have to tell him. So he tells him. Does Avram say, well, you're Hashem. I guess you know what's best. I guess you know what's right. So go for it. Good luck. No, what does Avram do? He says, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't seem righteous to me. That doesn't seem fair to me. I don't accept that. 
I'm going to protest. I'm going to object. I'm going to push back. If there are 50 righteous people, 45, 40, all the way down to 10, Avram Avinu battles with God. He fights back with Hashem. So did Avram have a breakdown of Amuna in that moment? Avram Avinu is the paradigm of Amuna. He is the father, the Avhamon Goyim. Avram Avinu is the father of our people, the father of monotheistic religion, ethical monotheism. He's the paradigm, the paragon of Amuna. Because Amuna doesn't mean that you passively, simply accept. Kurdish Baruch Hu sometimes does, and he says, no, push back. No, give me a counteroffer. No, what do you think? It doesn't mean he's going to pivot to do it our way, but it means sometimes he's doing what he does because he's trying to call our attention, because he wants us to wake up, because he wants to engage us in a conversation and in a relationship, because he wants us to respond. So Avram Avinu, do you need a greater precedent than that? Well, if you do, you have Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu is frustrated with all the challenge and pain and crises and hurt that he sees among the people he loves, his flock, that he dedicates and devotes his whole life to and cares about, and he says to Hashem, Lama Hirosa, Lama Zeh, what's with all the pain? Hariosa, the word Hariosa is Ra. Why all these bad things for good people? I can't take it, Hashem. Show me your face. Show me your face. Show me. Help me understand why. Let me understand your reasons. Explain to me why bad things happen to good people, why good things happen to bad people. Give me a glimpse. Give me a look. Give me an insight. Is there a greater insider than me, says Moshe Rabbeinu? Has anyone earned it more than I have? If you really trust me, then trust me and let me look through your glasses. Let me see the world through your eyes. Let me understand your matrix, your calculations. And what does Hashem say to him? You can see the back of my head, but you can't see my face. You can understand after the fact. You could try to put the pieces together in retrospect, but you cannot prospectively interpret and understand life as it's happening. It just doesn't work that way. I think we must have quoted, but the example has been given countless times of the um, magnificent tapestry, that when you look on the threads on the back, they just look like loose threads, randomly sewn, doesn't come together any picture, it's ugly, it's messy, and when you turn it around, you see a perfect picture on the other side. So after the fact, we get to see the perfect picture on the other side. Sometimes in this world, you didn't get that job. Baruch Hashem, you got a much better job. It fell through with that person you desperately wanted to marry. Baruch Hashem, it would have ended in misery. Sometimes in this world, we see that when the door closed, we spoke about it. We just spoke about it. I don't remember what parasha we're up to. What did we read? Pinchas. No, we read... Which is Pinchas? This coming week. Balak. Yeah, this Peshavs. We read. Sometimes what feels like a Satan is the Malach Sharachamim. Sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts something in the road and he's blocking our road. There's an obstacle. We say, where are you? Why don't you love me? And you've abandoned me. I really want to go there. That's the destination I want to be. That's the community I want to live. That's the house I'm trying to buy. That's the job I'm trying to get. That's the girl I want to marry. Where are you? What's with the obstacles? Why are you blocking the path? The, the Pasuk says, It feels like the Satan. It feels like the Satan is blocking us. Satan, the translation, Hashem says, You think I'm blocking your path? I've sent an angel of compassion. I'm rerouting you. I'm redirecting you. I don't want you to sit in traffic. I don't want you to fall into the pothole. I don't want you to have a collision with another car. I'm rerouting you for your own good. It feels like the satan in the moment, but trust me, it's a malach shal rachamim. Bilam doesn't feel it. And he hits the donkey three times. And then he says, chatasi, 
yadati, I've done a chait because I didn't know. And we quoted the Svarno, who says, which is it? Is it chatasi? Did he do a chait? Was it a sin? Was it a mistake? Or lo yadati? Or did he not see the angel? Which is it? And the Svarno says, hayali lachash The angel was invisible. It's not Bilam's fault. He didn't see what was blocking the way. But he should have known there's something extraordinary happening here. There's a donkey that's talking. There's a talking animal. Animals don't talk. But he doesn't react, or Rabbeinu Bachaya writes, he doesn't react and fall off the animal and say, whoa, this is crazy, what's happening? There must be a message from above. There's a malach coming. He gets into a ridiculous dialogue and debate with the donkey. It's absurd. It's absurd. Because when we are so set on what we want, and we've knocked Hashem out of the equation, when we're so determined to be able to get to the destination and the journey the way we planned it, that we take Hashem out of the GPS, then we'll end up talking to a donkey, acting ridiculous, because our determination is clouding our vision and our judgment. The Gras says the words Malach Hashem appear 10 times in the Pesukim, because 10 times Hashem said, Hi, I'm here, I'm rerouting you. I'm redirecting you. I'm blocking this way because I want you to go that way for you. I've closed this door because we're opening that door for you. And 10 times Bilaam says, ah, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. This is where I want to go. I don't want to hear it. And in our lives, it feels like he's sometimes closing a door. Someone else bid on the house higher. They got the house that we thought was the perfect house for us. The person didn't want to continue dating us or didn't agree for the shidduch to even go out with us. But on paper, we thought this was going to be the one. That job, they passed us up for somebody else. Where things don't happen in the timeline that we want. Le satan lo, it feels like the satan, but it's a malach shorachamim. Kurdish Baruch is compassionately, compassionately taking care of us. But in those moments that it feels painful, it's okay to say, Hashem, I trust you. We're going to get to this more in a moment. But I trust you. I'm along for your ride. I'm part of your plan. I want to do it your way. But I got to tell you, this stinks. This is painful, it's frustrating, it's miserable, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient. You're not supposed to be whistling Dixie sitting in the hospital room or waiting for the biopsy results or being unemployed, waiting to get the job or trying to hopefully find that shidduch, that companionship for the rest of your life. You're not supposed to. Emuna doesn't mean you're smiling and you're happy and you're whistling and you have a skip in your step because, oh, it's all from Hashem, He's rerouting me. Baruch Hashem, it's not the Satan. This is amazing. It's okay in those moments to say, I got it, I'm with you, I'm along for the ride, but it hurts, it hurts, and where are you, and why, why this way? I'll go on the other route, but what was wrong with the original plan? Well, why, why? Anyway, all that, back to the email. So the person says, I felt validated, I was allowed, in quotation marks, to tell Hashem I was angry at him. After my anger and confusion subsided, I noticed something interesting happened. I began to say things to God like, God, you made this terrible situation happen, now give me the clarity how I can make the most of it how I can fix it completely. I need, in capital letters, you to fix this by sending me clarity. So interestingly, the author of this email, I think very brilliantly, and I'm so grateful to her for it, says, in fact, when you pivot and allow yourself to be frustrated or angry at Hashem, now, instead of pretending you're not angry at Hashem, just not being close to Hashem, you could use that to get closer. How? By saying, Hashem, this stinks, and it's painful, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and I don't like it, and it's unfair but I understand it's from you. I got it. But the same way it's from you, the solution's from you. So, no, let's, let's get on it. What's the solution? Give me the clarity. Help me understand what to do next. Help me have that breakthrough. Let me, let's pray on it. Right? I told you, 
Let's pray on it. The Starbucks woman. Let's pray on it. Let's pray on it. I went, we didn't have shear last week because I went to Tennessee for three days with one of my daughters. We went just to find Hashem in nature and go hiking and experience the world and it was very beautiful. We also found Hashem on the way there and on the way back with a four-hour delay on the way there and a seven-hour delay on the way back. Bar Hashem, the Amuna muscle kicked in. And, you know, it was great because on the way there, there's another prominent rabbi from South Florida, not another that I am, but a prominent rabbi from South Florida who was in the airport online. And he said, are you going or coming? I said, I'm leaving, we're delayed, it's fine. He said, I am also. The difference is he was on a one o'clock flight that was pushed to 6 p.m., which meant he would miss the wedding he was going for that night, so he was canceling his flight. So I said to myself, I, I'm, whenever time I get there, I get there. I'm not missing a wedding, I'm not missing a simcha, I'm not missing a, it's all good, it's all from Hashem. It's all amazing. But anyway, I was paying for the parking at a park that we were gonna go on a hike in, and what seemed like a teenage girl who was taking my money at the end said, have a blessed day. I love that expression. Yeah. I said, thank you so much, you too. Have a blessed day. Yeah. Not have a great day, have a good day. Have a blessed day, just felt like such a different expression. Have a blessed day. But anyway, so whatever the Hashem, I accept that this is from you. The flight delay, the Satan is blocking my path towards whatever goal or destination I'm trying to make my way towards, significant or insignificant, consequential or inconsequential. I trust and I believe it's from you. Good. But now I also rely on you to figure a way out. So Hashem, give me the clarity. Help me know what to do next. Send the messenger or the malach who's going to unblock the path. You close this door, show me the open door. You block this direction, open another direction. I need you to fix this. Back to the email. I actually had this whole conversation with God while I was unloading my dishwasher Shabbos morning, cleaning up my house for our Suda, and I thought about how you always mention the importance of talking to God even when you're engaged in the mundane. Naturally reserving our tefillah time for the standard fixed davening time from the sitter. So I poured out my heart to Hashem while I was engaged in this task, and something divine happened. I actually received tremendous clarity from God and I felt I had a way to handle the situation as best as possible. The next week I went back to my boss and explained to him that I was willing to do something that I'd previously not wanted to do, but I'd really like as much as my salary to be restored if possible. An amazing thing happened. My boss actually said he'll give me back my entire salary. I actually was so stunned at the turn of events that never would have happened if I hadn't received the clarity from Hashem that I needed to make a minor sacrifice. While I'm still, not, while I'm still compromising by doing something I thought I didn't want to do, it was so obvious to me that this compromise was something that Hashem wanted from me. What's amazing to me about this story is that had I turned away from Hashem when I was angry, I wouldn't have stayed close enough to feel I could begin demanding from Him to send me the clarity I needed. The anger I expressed to Hashem kept the lines of communication open. Without the open lines, I never would have felt it was appropriate to ask Hashem for clarity. Thank you for enabling the experience, the Amuna, blah, 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 blah. My faith allowed me to see Hashem's hand in a very obvious way and see how He helped me through my struggle to come out on the other side with my Parnassah restored and more importantly, with my connection to God stronger than before. Basically, I don't give the Amunashir. I just read the emails of the people who give the Amunashir. <laughs> because this email is a shir. This email is a living shir because it's a living example, not just conceptual or theoretical. And what this author of the email is saying is, had my anger made me turn away, I'm not davening, I'm not saying Tehillim, I'm not baking challah. I'm not doing the things, I don't know if she bakes challah. I'm not doing the things that I used to do that made me feel the connection to Hashem because I'm angry. He ruined my parnasa. he hurt me in this way, that way, the other way. I'm done, I'm out. Then not only would have lost the relationship with Hashem, but would have lost the ability through the relationship with Hashem to ask for and to find the clarity for how to navigate the very circumstance that's pushing her away from Hashem. So 
The answer and the antidote is not, don't ever feel angry or frustrated or uncomfortable or wish it were different. It's okay. We're validating, validating, validating. We're a group validating one another. It's okay to feel those things. But don't use those things as the excuse, as the cop-out to walk away or to distance. Use them as the propeller to lean in. Hashem, I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, I can't believe you did this. But you could also get me out of this. So now give me the clarity. Where do I go? What do I do next? Who are you sending my way? What's the next step? How are we fixing this? How are we fixing this? There are things that can't be undone. There are losses and tragedies and pain that cannot be undone. We're all davening today for the family of the soldier who was killed yesterday in Janine and the, uh, the funeral that's taking place right now. It's beautiful. You see the pictures of these young victims of terror, soldiers, pure, sweet, good. Oh, you could see it all just from a picture, that pain. Somebody who left his family just to go fight for the Jewish people and didn't come home. Some things can't be undone. Some things can't be fixed. But we can ask Hashem for the strength to nonetheless find our way through them. How to not move on, but how to move forward. And to ask Hashem for that strength to figure out how to do that. You took away someone I love or you created a situation that can't be undone that's so hurtful, but the same way that pain was introduced, you can give me the strength. You can give me the perseverance. You can give me the will. You can give me the comfort. You can give me the next. What do I do next that's going to help me find meaning for what I'm going through? So this email is a musashmus. Thank you, if you're watching, for sending it. This email is a musashmus to not, not, not get angry. Right? Remember we read the story of Revolba? Rav Lechter was on the way home from the Shiva call and he said, this Rosh Hashiva, who during Shiva, everything's from Hashem and I'm happy and I'm just grateful for the time I had my wife. He said, no, no, he's going he's gonna to collapse. He's going to collapse. We can't hold ourselves to a standard that's not only not realistic, it's not expected of us. It's not righteous. There's nothing wrong. Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, and there's a long list I can give you that well beyond throughout our history, our precedent, for being disappointed and hurt and finding our way to navigate nonetheless. So that was the second email I'm going to share. Before we get back into a text, I want to share with you a third email because these emails stimulate discussions. They are the shear of Emuna. And this one is a tough one. This one's a tough one. And I'd love to hear your, your impact, your input, your insight on it. We'll skip the part. Blah, blah, blah. I've listened to many of your shirim in general, many of the living with Amuna specifically. I'm reaching out because lately I've been struggling deeply with my Amuna and hoping you have some advice or perspective. It's been most recently related to dating, but it's relevant to how I relate to Hashem all around. And here's the context. I'm not going to read the whole background and the specific details. But here's the, the question. In most of the relationships, this is in dating, I have been in, I was the one to call it off. That's a lot of responsibility. How can I say it was Hashem's plan that the relationship didn't work out when I'm the one who chose to end it? I try so hard to make the best decisions that I can, one decision at a time, from saying yes or no to a suggestion, to go on another date, or to ending things. I try so hard to make my Bechira Chavshis seriously, put in effort, do whatever I can in a given situation to make it work or navigate it properly, and I take full ownership for my decisions. But when I reflect back on my relationships, when I'm down and struggling with dating, I want to give up control and trust that Hashem is running the world and my world with a plan. But it's hard to do so when I seem to have so much control over what happens. I decided this relationship should end. I decided to walk away. That feeling of responsibility feels like it's holding me back from trusting Hashem. And then gives a specific example of having ended a particular relationship and was that me or was that Hashem? 
Do we look back and say, Hashem got me here to this place? Or no, this is a result of my initiative and my Bechira, and therefore don't blame Hashem or don't attribute to Hashem when it's really a result of, of me. So this is not the first time I've ended a relationship like this. I feel like the person from that story, when there's a man drowning in a flood in a boat helicopter, all come to save him, but he says he's waiting for Hashem to save him. And only the end does he realize Hashem was saving him by sending those messengers the whole time. In my life, are these amazing guys helicopters from Hashem? Are my decisions to reject them causing me to block, causing me to look back when I'm older and say, silly, so-and-so, Hashem sent you so many great people and you passed up and you found excuses to end each one of them. So do you look back and say, it was all from Hashem and that's why I'm here? Or it was all me and my decisions and my responsibility and my Bechira and that's why I'm here. There are certain things in life where it's easy to make the distinction between what I'm responsible for and what I'm not, right? When the flight's delayed, it's easy to say, this has nothing to do with me. What about when you miss your flight? <laughs> when you miss your flight, do you say, well, it wasn't meant to be from Hashem that I'd be on that plane. Enrique Wilson, Mariana Rivera saved the, yeah. his save, saved the life, the greatest save of his career. So when, do you, when you miss the flight, do you say, it wasn't meant to be from Hashem for me to be on that flight. I'm not going to get bent out of shape. I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm not going to get upset. It wasn't meant to be. I'll figure it out. And when do you say, hey, Yats, you, you, you didn't wake up in time. You kept getting delayed. You always assume you have enough time to get there. You were running late. It's all on you. It's on you. You missed the flight. Take responsibility. When do you say, which? When do you say which? Let's take illness, for example, the author writes, while an illness, illness could be brought on someone's decisions in this world, let's say somebody smoked for 60 years and got lung cancer. Do they say the lung cancer is from Hashem? Or do they say, what made you think that you could smoke for 60 years and not get lung cancer? Most people have not made a decision that led to that illness. Most people just get it out of the blue. So when someone gets sick, it's easier to put my hands up and say, this is part of Hashem's plan. I'm upset, I don't understand, but I know it's Hashem running the world. But dating is all about Bechir Chavshis. Everything about dating is, should I say yes, should I say no? Should we go out, should we continue? Are we ready to get engaged, not get engaged? Everything about it is, I mean, you could ask for signs and you could find some women at Starbucks to hold hands with and pray on it. But in the end of the day, it's all about the decisions you make. So it's hard to separate out those thoughts. Do you look at the results and where you are and say, this is where Hashem wants me to be? Or do you say, this is my Bechira, my initiative, and this is how I got here. So don't blame it on Hashem. This is about my responsibility. Wow. Wow. That's a tough one, right? Tough one. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that ultimately, um, but at the same time, there has to be hishtablis, so... There's a balance between hishtablis and, and everything is from Hashem, emunah bitachon. We have to do initiative, that's for sure. Jewish people stood opposite the sea, the Egyptians were in pursuit. And what did they do? What we're told to do, which is daven. And what does Hashem say? Matitzakilai, what are you doing? Close your tailum, close your sitter. You think the flight's going to wait for you when you're going to leave 15 minutes before the plane's supposed to leave? What are you doing? You're going to sit at home and say tehillim instead of driving to the airport and make your flight? Matatakalai, what are you doing? Close your sitter, close your tehillim, start acting, start taking initiative, do something. So we learn from there, you have to take initiative. Initiative is a form of tefillah. We daven with our feet, we daven with our hands. We show Hashem we're partnering with Him by doing what we need to do, by taking our initiative, by doing our part. So on the one hand, we have to take initiative. We have to take initiative, we have to do our part. We have to do our part. On the other hand, we've been taught you, you gotta have a muna. You can't do excessive initiative. Excessive initiative is to knock Hashem out of the equation. 
you're going to work 23 out of 24 hours a day. If Hashem wants you to make a parnasa, you can make it by working a reasonable amount. You're going to neglect your health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your family, your life. You can't have excessive initiative either. Excessive initiative is a lack of emunah. It's all about the scales and the balance. The right of initiative, the right of bitachon, the right amount of bitachon and emunah. How do you find that? So it's very interesting. It's very interesting. When it comes to the area of Shaduchim in particular, and this is not a shir on Shaduchim, this is living with Amuna. But when it comes to the area of Shaduchim in general, Chazal tell us that what has Hashem been doing since He created the world? He's Mizavig Sivugim. What has He been occupied and preoccupied with since creation? He is the ultimate Shadchan. This is what He's doing. And therefore, the Vilna Gon writes famously, Rishon Mazam and Arbach quotes it and bemoans in our generation that we are excessively involved in Shaduchim. The one area of life that we should be less involved and leave it more up to Hashem, we are excessively and overly involved and don't leave it enough up to Hashem. Other areas of life where we should get more involved, we are too little involved and we leave it too much up to Hashem. When it comes to Parnassah, when it comes to taking care of ourselves, we say, I believe in Hashem, Hashem is amazing, Hashem will provide. Hey buddy, get to work. Hey buddy, get off the couch and go for a walk and take care of yourself. Because, yes, Hashem is part of the equation, but He wants to take initiative. So Shlomo Zaman quotes this Gra and he bemoans and he says, the areas that we should take more initiative and less bitachon, we have too much bitachon and too little initiative. And the area we should have more bitachon and too little initiative, i.e. shiduchim, we take too much initiative and have too little bitachon. Shlomo Zaman quotes the Gra. So on the one end, this is an area of tremendous bitachon and, and emuna. On the other, there is enormous, enormous bechira that we have to express that we have to express. So how do we balance between the two? So I think there are a couple approaches that we could have. And I give the disclaimer that this is very difficult and very complicated. I don't claim to have all the answers and there's not one way of looking at it. But with that said, I would suggest the following. I believe, not as a cop-out, I think I told the story in Living with Amuna but we've been doing this for many years, so if I forgot, surely many of you have as well. <laughs> but there was a summer that I was very into originally, first started working on this journey of learning more about and putting into practice Amun and Bitachon. It was a summer my family was in Eretz Yisrael, and I read the book, Living, I read the book, Garden of Emuna, of Shalom Arush, and I decided to go visit him. I had some questions. So Yechevet and I packed into the car that we had rented that summer that didn't fit our kids, but we put them in anyway. And we made our way to go see Rav Shalom Arush. Now, the problem is that we were very low on gas and we were very late to this meeting. So she was saying, you got to get gas. We're going to run out of gas and we're going to be on the side of a road in a bad neighborhood on the way in a heat wave. You got to get gas. To which I said, Hashem will get us there. <laughs> she just read Living with Amuna living with uh, the Garden of Amuna. Like, what are you talking about? We're going to meet the author, the Machaber of the Garden of Amuna. Hashem will get us there. Don't worry. That little line, even though it's past that red little line, it's okay. Because Hashem could make that gas last one mile. He can make it last a thousand miles. So Hashem's going to get us there. So we're going to keep driving. That was really, really, really good for Amuna. Really, really, really not good for Shalom Bias. But anyway, we got there with enough gas. But in our discussion, Yechevet thought that she would ask Rav Shalom Arush this question. If we ran out of gas and we were on the side of the road 
and we were late or missed the meeting altogether, and our kids were fetching or were in danger because it was a busy highway, and there was a heat wave and there was no one coming to bail us out or help us, was that Hashem's will that we would be going through it? Or, she asked for confirmation, that her husband was a moron <laughs> who when Hashem designed a gas tank that tells you when you're about to run out of gas, chose to ignore it and keep driving nonetheless? That was her question. She's a much better person than I am, so she did not ask it that way. Maybe that's just how I interpreted it and heard it. But, Ravarush, don't you agree my husband is a moron and you have to get gas to not run out of gas? You cannot blame Hashem for when you run out of gas. So, Ravarush answered, not so simple, this is a very deep wrestle of sort of an extreme approach to the issue of emuna and initiative. He answered the following. He said, Again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he didn't say it this way. But he said essentially, your husband was acting like a moron. But why would a otherwise rational, normal, intelligent person act like a moron? It must be for whatever reason Hashem in that moment put in his head to decide something so foolish and moronic. So that when you're on the side of the road, you look at yourself and say, you know, I acted like a moron. And I need to learn a lesson, I need to take responsibility. I should have gotten gas. And next time, I'm going to listen to my wife, and next time, I don't have to wait. People don't know that. You don't have to wait until the light comes on to get gas. You're allowed to get gas when you're at like half a tank, a quarter of a tank, a third of a tank. You're allowed. People don't know that. They think you have to wait until you're scrambling and sweating and wazing. Where's the closest gas station? They don't know you're allowed to. So in case you didn't know, you're allowed to get gas even before it's on empty. So... So yeah, you have to take responsibility and ownership, and you have to learn a lesson from it and pledge and promise going forward, you're going to improve with it. But in that moment, part of your processing, what happened is to say, I don't know why I acted so foolishly. I don't know why I was so moronic, but I, I think that it must be from Hashem that I acted this way, even while I take responsibility and even while I will learn from it going forward. Hashem is part of that equation. Hashem is part of that conversation. Hashem is part of that result and part of that experience that we went through. That was his answer. That was his answer. May not be fully satisfying, and it's not the one authoritative approach. There are different approaches, but that was his answer to that, to that question. His answer to me on the general question of how to reconcile emunah bitachon and bechira and initiative was, he said, meat, basar, is kosher. Chalav, milk, it's kosher. But when you mix them, basar v'chalav, it's not kosher. So learn about and work on Bechir Chavshah's initiative. And learn about and work on Bitochan and Amuna. But don't try to mix the two because when you do, you get Basar Bechalaf. Mm -hmm. yeah. that's, that's now, again, not fully satisfying. To a certain degree, he was saying, don't think about it. Which is not the Jewish way. We think about it. We ask questions about it. We're not afraid to try to tackle it and confront it and explore it. To a certain degree, he was saying, don't think about it. Or maybe what he was saying is, don't feel entitled to have an answer with it because you won't find it. These are difficult, complicated. So we'll explore it more going forward, but I'll just end today by saying to the author of that email, I think that you can't, you can't blame Hashem. We have to take responsibility because we are the ones making the decision in each moment. You say yes, say no, go out, continue, don't continue, lean in or pull out of the relationship, we're making the decision, so ultimately it's up to us. But I think that part of making that decision is trying to have a conversation with Hashem that says, 
Why am I making the decisions that I'm making? And help me make the decisions that will get me through the door that you're opening, down the path that you've paved for me. Help me have a clarity, a vision of what the right thing is for me, and help me explore what might be blocking me from walking down the road that you have opened up. Because I believe, and I don't want to be too descriptive, but I, I have a good friend who doesn't live here. I have a good friend who got married later in life, in his early 40s. Everything's relative. I don't mean to uh, stigmatize, but relatively later. And he will tell you, and he went out with many, many girls, many of great girls, had many great relationships, and many of them could have gone great places, and for whatever reason, always ended it. Couldn't break through, couldn't make the commitment. And it was only at a point of his life when he was ready to tackle why that he got the support and had the conversation with the trained people who could help him understand why was he struggling with commitment. And there were very real reasons in his life. A woman in his life who he loved very much died very suddenly out of nowhere and he lost and it created tremendous trauma and, and it, was, it was not fully explored and that feeling was subconsciously blocking his ability to ever become fully vulnerable to someone else who could disappear on him again and cause that pain again. And when he was willing to go through that experience of exploring and working on and tackling that original trauma and pain and how it was manifesting itself now, Baruch Hashem, he got married. And Baruch Hashem, he's a beautiful family. And Baruch Hashem, he's a beautiful, very inspiring person. So that means to say that Part of, in each moment, exploring, why am I saying yes? Why am I, I have to take responsibility. It's on me, a lie. I'm the one saying yes or saying no. I'm the one continuing it or ending it. It's on me. But Hashem, help me. Help me understand. Help me have clarity. Help me explore. Help me heal. Help me see the path that you're paving. Help me understand why you're not blocking it. Maybe I'm putting impediments. I'm putting obstacles. Maybe I'm blocking it. Help me pave that path and bulldoze that way, that way forward. So I don't know if we can truly reconcile an answer, you know, is it Hashem or is it you? It's both. First of all, you can apply Rav Arusha's answer. Who's the one who put in your head to keep saying no or keep saying yes or keep doing it? It's Hashem. So look at where you are. Don't beat yourself up. Realize Hashem, you got you here. And now just figure out what's next and what's forward. But I guess that's my, my takeaway. And what I'm trying to communicate is, I don't know that Bitochan and Amuna demand that we do an evaluation and retrospect to unpack and understand how we got here. I think what we need to do is know, this is where I am and what do I do next? And Manu and Bitochan are all about what's next. I don't know that we're ever going to get clarity on the answers of how we got here. And I don't know that it'll make a difference. What's it gonna solve? But I think what we need to do is figure out, okay, but now you're here, so what's next? How are you going to position yourself so that your dating is best going forward? That you're clear in what you're looking for and what you want and whether you did the right thing or wrong thing by continuing, by ending, and so on. Are you doing what you need to do now for what's next rather than spend your energy and time and emotions on trying to interpret and understand how you got here? What's next? And that's talking to Hashem and davening and asking for the clarity and the confidence in making those next decisions. It's davening to Hashem and asking for the healing and working through whatever might be going on subconsciously that's keeping you from getting on the helicopter or taking the rope or accepting the different rescue options that He's sending. 
So I think it's not about interpreting what happened or how you got here, but it's figuring out where you go and, and what's next. And uh, we didn't fully tackle it. We'll continue this conversation with Emuna. It's an unusual week. We didn't get into the text whatsoever. But the emails themselves were the Emuna Shir. So we're grateful to keep them coming. We have more emails to share in the coming weeks. We uh, tonight are going behind the beamer with Natan Sharansky, person who lives with great Emuna in order to endure what he did. The lessons of the Soviet Jewry movement for modern anti-Semitism today and many other conversations. That's tonight. And until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.